So today I'm a bit sad as we finish up our exploration of this single story that we spent the month of January in, found in Acts chapter 17. Just because I've fallen in love with it, I keep finding more and more and deeper and deeper treasures in it, which is true of so much of Scripture. But this is a story of successful, the successful sharing of Christ to a man named Dionysius and a woman named Damaris. And a few others. And so if I were to, I've I've told you, if I were to put a title on this section, I would call it the day that Dionysius and Damaris decided to follow Jesus. And so Paul is in Athens and he he had a role in that. And there's quite a bit of detail there. So I just have found it so intriguing to go back and look at what did Paul do to join God at work there in Athens in a way that he got to play a part in Dionysius and Damaris becoming our brother and sister in Christ. And so I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I have. Um, and, and just a quick word here. We are not trying to copy Paul. Okay, we're not just, it's not that simplistic. It's not like you're, you're, you look at what he did. He, he's doing it, he's sharing Jesus in a way that Paul would. And he's doing it that in a way that's relevant to his context, which is Athens 2,000 years ago. So we're not just simply taking everything he exactly said, every strategy he precisely employed to be relevant in that context. And we're just going to copy him here in Amarillo 2,000 years later. We are looking at what he did in attitude and in approach, and yes, in strategy, but in the most general of ways, so that we can see why the Holy Spirit gave us so much detail. How did he approach the world to share Christ in a way? What is, what is uh, imitatable? We're not trying to copy him precisely, but what is it that he did that successfully helped him engage with that crowd in a way that Damaris and Dionysius could have what God was already doing in them happen. That's what we're looking at. So anyway, it's been a lot of fun for me. Now, quick reminder of a couple of exciting things coming up that uh, before we get into this teaching, which is a short, easy, simple, but important teaching. The last observation I want to make. I say exciting, notable thing. This first thing's notable. This Thursday, I am planning on being unconscious. Like I'm planning on it for a significant portion of the day. As some of you know, I'm having my right place rehipped, rehipped, um, <laughs> my right hip replaced. <laughs> so I do covet your prayers for me in that time as I, the time approaches. And many of you've done things like this and other things. It's like uh, uh, I'm feeling all kind of vulnerable, and you know, which I will be. So anyway, I, there are a lot of people in this church with way more dire things going on on our prayer list that that you're praying for. But I would love it if you would add me to that list for this week. And while I think I am a great, most excellent, low maintenance patient, be praying for my primary care- caregiver, my wife Carrie. She will also be my taxi driver for a time. Hopefully not too long, but she will be. And a big thanks to all my coworkers and friends that will be uh, helping me out with some of my obligations that I'll be missing out on. So as far as being in this space right here, I hope to uh, be back here with my little walker sooner, sitting right there. But for the next three weeks, I will not be standing here. Uh, and I've already told you this, but I'm just so excited that it's upon us. Our friend David Fraze is going to be here to preach 
uh, for the next two weeks. He was a youth minister for many years of his life. All great preachers were youth ministers at some point. And, uh, and he was that, but now he works at Lubbock Christian University and, uh, he's a friend of ours. We've had him up here before. It's been too long since we had him back. So I was so thrilled when I contacted him and asked him if he would come and do a two, uh, week just shot in the arm, David Frazian type teaching of, uh, what we are launching into this year with. He was excited about where we're at and what we're doing. So I'm really looking forward to him being here. Then the week after that, I've told you about one of our new members, Ben Hayes, who's going to be here. You have actually, I can't wait for you to meet him in this setting. Uh, some of you have personally, but uh, they, they, I say they, you've already met Becca. Becca has led worship for you. You might not have known that was her, but Ben and Becca, and then they have these three great kids. I can't wait to, I hope I get to know them better. I always get their names mixed up. They're all B words, but I think it's Britain is one of them, Brooklyn and uh, Bra- Braylon, I think. And so if I was at his, their house, I'd be going, Ben, Beck, Bray, Brooke, we, it'd be horrible. I hope their dog is named Rover, you know, not Buster or something. But anyway, I'm really excited. They come to us here in Amarillo from Malawi, Africa. They were missionaries there. He is still kind of leading a mission effort there from here, playing a role there. And so he already had, that's why I've asked him to introduce him to us in this way, because he has a heart for this and he's done it in another context. And now he's moved here to our context and he's learning how to do it here. And I just think it'll be a neat and unique experience uh, to have him. So I'm very excited about that. Following that, and Dole mentioned this, but um, I just want you to be praying. We are still in the midst. We haven't been talking about it a lot, but our five uh, couples that are considering and prayerfully discerning joining our leadership group. And so in f- four weeks from now, we will have that new uh, elder installation process, and that will be a special morning together here. I will hopefully, the plan is I will be standing here with you on that day. So we've already mentioned line of departure the week after that, March 2nd and 3rd. I don't know how Quain knew, but I somehow, I didn't plan it, but I get a notification every time somebody signs up. So encourage me today. If you haven't, you can do it right now. Later today, I'll get an email with your name, and it makes me excited every time I see a name, someone else who says, okay, I'm willing to get together with my church family and figure out how it is I'm supposed to share Christ and and dream about how we as a group can share Christ. It's not all on you. That's what we're talking about today. When we're fit, you know, Jesus used this idea of fishing for men. It's not just you with the pole all the time, you know. There's net fishing too. We can do this together. We're not alone in this. And that's not just because the Holy Spirit goes before us and comes in behind us. But we have actually people we can see with our eyes that are in on this with us. So I think it'll be a wonderful time of, of um, just visualizing and imagining and dreaming up and maybe being a little convinced that we can do it, that we can do it. We can join in the mission. So sign up. That will help us with our venue decisions, how we're going to set up and snacks and childcare and things like that. Okay. So As I thought about how to wrap up this beginning study for this year, I thought I'd put a bow on it this way, just by by anchoring into yet another way that Jesus kind of tries to explain 
how he went about and how we can go about sharing Jesus in the world. He uses several images, okay? But, but there's one time, it's in John 8, 12, where he says this. He says, I am the light of the world. And, and I, I, I love this, that he's doing this. He, this is one of the many ways he explains this missional role. Yes, we're supposed to live with integrity when we say we're going to live like Jesus. We're supposed to live lives of constantly connecting to God, lives of worship and transformation. But there is also another part of our walk with Jesus, and that is this missional part, that it's not just for us. It is for us, but it's not just for us. And we miss out on a part of what is for us if we don't join in sharing it with the world. It's a whole amazing, relevant, and exciting, and life-giving part of the Christian walk. And so here he says, I am the light of the world. He didn't come down to condemn the world. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that has the right. And he says he didn't do that. As a matter of fact, that's what he said. That's the context of this. He, a, a woman who was clearly caught in sin was thrown before him and everyone was expecting him to condemn him like they do. And he didn't. And then after he didn't, he, he almost explains, I'm the light of the world. Light is like an illumination. It's like... Um, Light is like, it's not a condemnation, it's an invitation. It's, a, it's exposing something, right? It's lifting up a contrast. Everyone you know is running after life in a certain way, trying to get deep human and common needs met. And we are a light, we are, it allows a contrast of another way. There's this other way for people to consider. It's not a condemnation of the world, as if we have the right, as if we're not included in that group anyway. It's an invitation. We're to be a light like Jesus. And in case you're wondering, well, we all say, of course, Jesus is the light of the world. Right at the beginning of his teaching of his disciples, he turns it and he makes makes it so clear. Matthew 5, 14, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things he says is, you are the light of the world. You're to engage the world in the same way that I am engaging the world. And in case that's not clear enough, two sentences later he says, let your light shine before men. So maybe yet another title I would give this section of Scripture that we're looking at in Acts 17 would be how did Paul let his light shine? Maybe, maybe what we studied the last two weeks and this last observation I'm going to make today is an answer to the question of how do we do that? How do we be a light? How do we be bright in the world? And again, it's, an important, it's important to note that not everyone in this episode, everyone in Athens followed Paul. They didn't all follow him what he was saying. They didn't follow the teaching. They didn't follow Jesus. They didn't decide to follow. Matter of fact, most didn't. They didn't buy in. They didn't agree. But that's not his job. His job as a light is not to win the argument every single time. To effectively dismantle every obstacle, intellectual or otherwise, that everyone there in Athens has between them and Jesus. He's just there to be a light. It takes the pressure off of him and it takes it off us so it's not a debate it's an invitation this feels important to me as we approach the world this year with the with what our faith says is the best news they will ever hear in their life 
That's what our faith says. We're not trying to be right. We're trying to be light. We're trying to be bright. It's a lot of rhyming. Give them a sprite. You can do a day or night. I could go on and on, but I'll stop. I'll stop. Don't get in a fight. No, I, it's just coming. It's just coming. So when I look at what Paul did to be bright that we've looked at so far, I'd summarize it like this. I won't re-preach these, but just mention them to get the momentum to my simple but, but powerful and somewhat intimidating observation today. First, he cared for people spiritually. Do you? He cared. When he walked into Athens, it wasn't even part of his mission trip. He just ended up there. And as he went into Athens, he, we get this setup. He, he was thinking spiritually about people. He's not just thinking about people. He's not just being nice to his neighbors. He's thinking deeper about them. And we notice that he expressed that by caring enough to assess the spiritual situation they're in, in Athens. He cared enough to pay attention to where his audience might be spiritually. He cared spiritually. Second, we looked at this last week, he then met them there and built bridges. He tried to build, build bridges to the kingdom, from their culture to the kingdom, from where they were to Jesus. And we saw that one of the first things he did that I think is so important for us is he affirmed where they were already right. He affirmed, he looked for it. He looked for where they were already good, where they already had some truth. Remember he said, I see, because they had all those gods, I see that you are a religious people. You're searching for something here. It would have been so easy for him to do what we're trained to do, especially in our politics, and that bleeds into almost everything, our parenting, and probably our spiritual work. We want to point out where you're wrong. What are you thinking, all these gods? This, is, this makes no sense. It's so ridiculous. He didn't do that. He just sees the good in it. What's good about them already, they're, they're altogether religious. I see that. He points that out. He affirms what's good and right about them. He noted where things they're pursuing, where, that, that they've, things they've already learned that are true, that he would present if they didn't know. Like, remember he said, just as your poets and your philosophers have discovered, we are all God's offspring. He didn't need to teach them that. It's true, it's in our Bible, but he didn't need to teach them that. They somehow in their journey that they're already on, they already knew that. And so he, he reached to them. He, he's building, he's going all the way to where they are. He's looking at where they've already got some truth, where maybe he and they already have lots in common, and then we're traveling together. He does that to build the bridge. All of that, these first two things, is all about that right there, loving first. We love first because Jesus loved first, because God loved first. Love is what makes anything worthwhile incredible it's what everyone needs and we know it and god knows it he made us that way and so his people need to know it and love first that's what all that is so if there is then a scary part to reaching out to sharing jesus to evangelism pick your bible word that sets best with you if there is a scary part and there is there is, at least for me and most people, there's a scary part. It comes for some reason when we have to cross that, that line. It's usually kind of invisible to us, but it's real. Whether it's with an individual or with a group, whether it's uh, in a, just a single conversation that we have with someone that we never see again, or it's a long-standing friendship, 
We move from loving and caring and assessing and going all the way to where they are. And at some point, we feel it. We, we, it's time. The, the prompting is there. It is time to name the source of the life that we want to share. And that is name Jesus and the work of Jesus. It is to name Jesus as the source of all those things. We can get, we can go all the way, we can build all the bridges, we can meet them where they're at, we can talk about them, connect, become lifelong, unconditional friends. And we should do all of that. But at some point, we have not finished loving them until we name the source of those things that we know all human beings need. We can, we can get all into deep, meaningful conversation with people to the point of tears where we're talking about unarguable things that every human being needs. Healing, joy, purpose, security, meaning, hope, identity, family, community, value, and love all wrapped up in that word. All things all humans want and need that's just almost unarguable for people. The scary part is when we leave the talk of all the things our faith says Jesus provides and we put ourselves out there and we say it is Jesus that provides it. It's what Jesus has done. It's his work that secures it. We want to talk about Jesus and what he's done as the delivery system of God to give us all those desirable things, to meet all of those felt needs. At some point, we have to say we are not sharing the good news until we share the good news. The gospel. What's at the heart of it? And that is the name of Jesus and the work of Jesus. When Paul was explaining this to Christians over in Corinth, he's talking to Christians, he's reminding them of what's at the core of what it is that they have. What's at the foundation of what it is he shared with them. He's reminding them that all that they've gotten in Christ does not come to them except with this matter of first importance. And it's, you'll notice here, it's what Jesus, it's Jesus and what he's done. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. You never have to be iffy about what the gospel is, okay? The gospel is a story. Okay, a lot of times we have heard this preach, that's the gospel truth, and, and someone preaches any kind of Christian theme or anything from the Bible, and they say, you know, that's the gospel truth. No, the gospel truth is in the Bible, but the whole Bible is not the gospel truth. It all points to the gospel truth. The gospel truth is the, wor- is the name and work of Jesus, it's what he did. It's his whole work. And by that, I just mean his, his birth, his incarnation, his life, his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. Shorthand for that in Corinthians is just death, burial, resurrection. Shorthand for that in, by Luke in the book of Acts when he's talking about it's just the resurrection. And the resurrection is the difficult part for people. That's the unbelievable part. It's so familiar to us. We celebrate it every week that we don't realize how ridiculous it sounds. And yet, foolishness to the world, we have learned works. It works. It does deliver those things. And we want it for everyone. 
So to be light, we do love first, but we don't just love, right? We never leave love. You love first and then you never stop. But we don't just love. And again, even our love, here's why we don't just love. Because our love, even when it's motivated by Jesus, is not powerful enough to save anyone from anything. Our love can be huge. We can really have grown it. That's not totally true. Okay, now that I'm thinking about it, that's not totally true. My love can save someone from being hungry today. Right? I can feed someone today if they're hungry. My love can do that. It has the power to do that. My power has the, my love has the power of helping someone not feel lonely today. Right? I guess they're feeling lonely. I can give them companionship. My love can do that. My love, if they're thirsty, it can help them today. But, but my love has limitations. Two major limitations. One is, I am just not skilled enough, consistent enough, mature enough, I am not love enough to meet even those attainable needs of people consistently and for everyone. I, I'm not. It's not enough. It, but the real reason my love is not enough is because my love, no matter how forceful, no matter how consistent, no matter how beautiful and long-lasting and long-suffering it is, it is not enough to forgive sins. There's only one love that can do that in the story we believe in the faith we carry, our love can get a glimpse of what Jesus' love looks like. Our love can reflect to others elements of what God's love can be, but our love cannot get it, give it. That's why in Scripture, we can be called like brothers and sisters of Jesus. He came all the way down here, became a human to be the first eldest brother. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus here on earth. And, and we can also be called in Scripture co-heirs with Christ. Whatever heaven is, whatever eternal life looks like, he's going to be there, we're going to be there. We get the inheritance that he gave us, that he shares with. We're co-heirs. But in between, while we're here, we are not co-saviors. We can't do that part. We are called ambassadors. There's one Savior and that's the love of Jesus. So we love first because God is love, but it is God's love that ultimately we hope our love gives us credibility to point them to. So the same faith that compels us to love first compels us to cross that invisible line. Maybe it's nothing for you, but I'll challenge you on that. When's the last time you did share the gospel with someone? When you did feel the prompting from God, here it is, here it is. Here's your Dionysius. Their eyes are open. Here's your Damaris. She's ready. You tell her. Tell her the source of the life she is attracted to right now. Maybe it's not because you haven't had opportunity. It's because you're not looking for it. Or even if you are looking for it, there is a risk to it. Because there is. There is a risk. But, so, the, the same love that compels us to love first, I've heard so many of you confirm, it also compels us to cross that invisible line with that love. Not too soon as if there's some project that we're just trying to get them to make some kind of intellectual agreement with something and get in those waters. It's not, it's not that. But it's not never either. And, and too many of us, we are loving the world and we're never going to mention 
the source of that love. We neglect them as a person. So as Christians, we are not satisfied that we have loved someone fully, not until we name Jesus as the source of the love that they need. And we share with them what Jesus has done for them. So in the passage we're studying, I see two places where Paul experiences pushback, like resistance. He even gets rejected. He even gets made fun of and called names. Right here in this text, this successful story of evangelism has embedded in it two places that jump off the page for me. At one point, he literally gets called the name Babbler. What is this Babbler talking about? And the text, the Holy Spirit saw fit to record that in this story of successful evangelism. Later, he gets literally sneered at. I looked it up, what that means, sneered, although you know what it means. But it means mocked, made fun of. Seen as ridiculous. And the text saw fit. The Holy Spirit saw fit to record that in this story of successful evangelism. Why? Why would the Holy Spirit preserve that that is a part of successful evangelism unless it is? So let's look. The first one's... Let's look at why. Where did the resistance come from in the story? What was it? Paul did so much right. They want to hear what he has to say. He gets promoted from wherever he was in the marketplace to Mars Hill, like talking to the whole Areopagus and some of the council. And I mean, it's a lot of success here. Why why is this in here? What happened? What points did he get sneered at and called names? Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul, look, was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's the part that's hard. That's the part that can, the enemy can come in and make us feel silly about promoting or talking about. If I'm calling you to a life of purpose, I have not met one human being that I have found felt silly to calling them to that. If I want to call them to a life of healing the broken place in their life, I have never once found one human being that sneered at me for, for wanting that for them. If, I, if I'm calling them to a life of family and community and the, just the, 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 the healing of loneliness, I've never met anyone that doesn't agree with that, that says, what are you babbling about? No, it's when... I tell them what I believe the source of all those things in all of its need and width and depth. And it's that, that's when I get mm, the reaction. And it's when he did too. Down in verse 30, it happens again. This is where he gets made fun of. In the past, he's at the end of his speech. And he says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. We know he's talking about. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard, look, when they heard about the resurrection, some of them sneered. You see it? There is a line that when we cross it, this is not just possible, it's likely. It's likely. 
to happen. And I doubt this was the pleasant part of the experience in Athens for Paul. But I also doubt he lost a lot of sleep over it. But it is when he spoke of Jesus and what he has done. When he spoke of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's when the pushback comes in. That's where the offense comes. That's where the ridicule comes. The sneering and the... What are you talking about? For all of the going and connecting and meeting people where they're at and doing what needs to be done to give them the, to give you, give, to give him the opportunity to be heard when the time came, scary as it is, scary as it was, Paul did not skimp on the source material of what saves them. He talked about Jesus. If we're going to be light in the world like Jesus was, if we're going to be bright like Paul, exhibits here at the end of the day i'm gonna need to when i'm called to not too soon but not never and in conjunction with the prompting of god who's the one that's doing all the work on them anyway i'm gonna need to let them know the good news to say that it was jesus and what he did in his work that changed my life and he'll do it for you it's not just church it's not just spiritual things It's not just purpose and healing and joy and peace and all those unarguable things that are results of following Jesus. It's not just that thing I went to. It's not just I'm growing spiritually right now. I know it might sound crazy, friend, but it stems from my belief in Jesus and the work he has done on my behalf. Paul knew he couldn't introduce the one true God without sharing Jesus. They had lots of gods, remember, lots to choose from that they're studying, that they're examining, that are over that. But if he's going to present the one they don't know, he knows he can't just stay in the, we are all his offspring. And he's created everyone to be wherever they're supposed to be because he wants you to find him. He has to tell them who it is that they're trying to find. He needs to define him. And God has decided in our belief system to define himself with Jesus. That God in heaven is Christ-like. Hebrews tells us. All the deity was packaged in. All of God's fullness was put into Jesus. So when we share Jesus in our faith system, that is when, and not before then, we are sharing God. We talk about him. So Paul didn't let his fear of rejection, his fear of judgment, his fear of ridicule, his fear of being seen as backwards, as believing in fairy tales from some 2,000 year old ancient book he, he didn't allow his fear of all that of all the progress he made there he's in front of the Areopagus getting some amens he didn't let his fear of the progress he made in those relationships keep him from shortchanging what he knows he's there for even if even though for many if not most in that room that was just too far that was too much they sneered at him they called him a ridiculous babbler with a ridiculous claim. It's going to happen to us. It does happen. If you ever get to that place, someone might say, Brian, uh, Jesus, resurrection. Okay. That happens. Um, Brian, I'm sorry. We all moved on from those fairy tales like 40 years ago. Okay. Our parents believe that. Our grandparents believe that. We don't believe that anymore. That happens. It will happen. This will happen. Are you unfamiliar with all of the church hurt that has happened because of people who claim that claim? 
by people who say they follow that and preach it. Have you not read these po- heard these podcasts, Mars Hill, this other stuff? Have you not heard of these movements over in Arkansas? That, have you not heard all this church? You want to associate yourself with that? Okay. That happens. It will happen. Some will creatively insult. You know, you seem like you have so much common sense. Like just my experience of you, neighbor, is you have so much common sense. And sometimes you might even appear wise about lots of things. But I just, but then you jump to that, to some 2,000-year-old dead guy that was resurrected. I mean, I can't seem to put that together. That happens. That will happen. Some might reason, you know, from the ivory towers of the world in our books and in our TV snippets and legit smart people will say, no level-headed thinking intelligent person will ever buy into that, into what you're saying. That happens. That will happen. And I'm not going to say it's pleasant. It's not. It's not pleasant getting sneered at. It's not. But when it happens, I'm, even if I'm bothered by it, I'm not going to ultimately lose a ton of sleep over it because I'm not there to win an argument with them. I don't need to put that pressure on me. I'm not there to get affirmation of my beliefs from their affirmation of those beliefs. I'm not going to put that pressure on me or on them. I'm there to be light, to shine, to just shine out in the world. People's reaction to the light is not my business. It's not my business. I'm there to be light, to use Jesus' other words. I'm there to fish. I won't catch all the fish in the lake. Not even many relative to how many are out there. To use another one, I'm there to plant seeds. Some will land on good soil that's ready. Some will land on soil that's just not ready. That's not my business. I want to be leavened, to use another analogy, I want to be leavened in the lump of dough, this earth that we're on, that maybe, maybe it'll spread and rise the whole loaf. Let me ask you guys, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? The ultimate joy of being willing to do that is when Dionysius or Damaris happen that's the ultimate joy but I don't want to shortchange that it's hard that there's difficulty that it is scary it is it is at some point it will be that so let me just tell you let me finish today to tell you the reason ultimately that you can cross that line that you can just submit and cross that line right into any of that sneering or ridicule or name calling and where you can find the source to do that. Let me ask the elders and ministers, go ahead and finish. This won't take long. Go ahead and move around the room. If you need anything today or you want to know more about this Jesus, that's why we do this. Praise team, if you'll come on up here. The reason you can cross that line and face that fear and sleep just fine even when you get sneered at or called a babbler is because their response is not on you. You're important. You're important in this cooperation we're in, this kingdom project that God, but you're not that important. You can fail and he's not going to fail. There's safety in this, but you don't want to miss out on the joy 
You can do it because it's God's work. Someone deciding to follow Jesus is God's work. It's not yours. It's not yours. Sharing Jesus is our work. And it's our invitation, again, to share in the joy of God's work. But people being ready to receive it and then grow in Jesus, that's God's work. It's Paul, again, over in Corinthians. There was, among those Christians there, they were all kind of getting in this petty sort of argument about who was baptized by Apollos and who was baptized by Paul, trying to play a superior card. I had a better teacher, so I'm, I'm more than you spiritually. Just talk about adventure and missing the point. I won't pretend like I haven't done it. You don't pretend like you haven't done it. But he says something to them that addresses what I want to address here. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered. But God made it grow. You don't reach down into the soil and pull that fruit out. That's God's work. That's God's work. And this, to me, is why I can walk into this and be unafraid. Even allow God to give me joy in the midst of potential suffering, of ridicule, of sneering. It will happen. You may have a little voice in you that does it to you every now and then. You don't even leave your own self. But it will happen in the world. But so will Dionysius, and so will Damaris, and whole family lines change. Whole family lines change. Not just here, but in our faith for eternity. The way Jesus says it, just to give a last word from Jesus. He says, this is so kind of him. Like, we're talking about sharing Jesus with the world. You might be feeling some pressure to get it together, to know enough. i got to go to retreat and I need to really learn. And No, you don't. No, you don't. Because Jesus is so kind. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is what that means. I do this in starting from, I'm going to do it with you. Forgive the youth minister in me. Why don't you take a deep breath? Everybody just take a deep breath right now. Seriously, take a deep, fill your lungs, take an extra breath and hold it, hold it. Uncomfortably full breath. Okay, just hold it in this work, in this going out into the world, in this opportunity and privilege, this responsibility, but this opportunity and privilege, Jesus. Ready? Okay, let it out, let it out. It is not on you. It is not on you. Not with your kids. Not with your neighbors. Not with your parents. He's at work. And he just invites us to go to our kids and to have kids and to go to our parents and go to our neighbors and just join him and be a part of what he's already doing. I will take any amount of sneering, any amount of name calling, for the opportunity to see that and to be a part of that. Will you? Let's stand. Let's sing to this great God who gives us this great news.